We're talking about the manifest presence of Jesus. And we started off by talking about the promised presence of Jesus. Where he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, which means under the authority of of his name, for the glory of his name and the proclamation of his name, not just putting his name on a sign, where two or three are gathered in my name, he said, I'll be right there in the middle of them. And so we talked about the promised presence of Jesus. But we also, I haven't done a message on it, but it's, 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 it's woven throughout the thing. Then there's the abiding presence of Jesus, where Christ lives in each one of us. You know, once you get saved, you're never separated from Jesus. Did you know that? Now, you can be out of fellowship with God, but you're not separated. And so we not only have the promised presence of Jesus, but we have his abiding presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So we have his abiding presence. And then we've talked about the awareness of his presence. It's those occasions in your life where it just seems like the presence of Jesus becomes so real. And you realize that this is not just another moment. It's almost like you've moved out of the natural into the supernatural. And you're just experiencing the wonderful presence of God. Maybe a little taste of heaven. We wish it happened more often, but it's just called the awareness of the presence of Jesus. And then... We've been dealing with uh, the manifest presence of Jesus, which is this. When Jesus Christ is present and manifests himself, what does he do? Number one, he preaches the gospel to the poor. That means people are saved. So our first message on the manifest presence of Jesus was he preached the gospel to the poor. And we had one of our men, Chef Rob, to give his testimony of how he was gloriously saved And how the Lord had kept him. And just the presence of Jesus to save people. And then last week we preached on that the manifest presence of Jesus. Is he came to heal the brokenhearted. You know the scripture right there says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Salvation. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Where Jesus heals. Restores our soul. And heals hearts broken by many things. Mike and Carolyn Speak shared a a wonderful testimony about how the Lord sustained them and healed and healed and is healing their broken heart and the death of their granddaughter. Well, today we're moving to the third thing, and that is this. Preach the gospel to the poor, salvation. The healing of the brokenhearted, healing. But today, he said, I came to to proclaim liberty to the captives. And it also, in other translations, I came to deliver the captives. And so that's what we're focusing on today. And we'll have a testimony uh, and as a part of my message as we go along on someone who has experienced the deliverance of the captives. So let's think about it. Jesus said, I came to deliver the captives, to set free the bound. Let me ask you a question. Is there any area of your life that you feel like is out of control? You seem to be in control in every area of your life, but yet there there are just one or two areas, maybe one, where you just don't feel, sometimes you feel out of control in that area of your life, and you don't like that. But it's true. Let me ask you another question. Is there any area of your life where you just have repeated failure? Well, God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that. I know it's wrong. Lord, I mean, I'm finished with that. And you know you meant that, but it seems like you go along for a while and whap. just seems like you get knocked back and you say, well, am I ever, ever, ever going to get beyond that? Am I ever going to be really free? So, if you're, it's areas of your life, if you feel out of control, or areas of your life where there is repeated failure. Sometimes you say, well, you know, Brother Fred, I don't know what it is, but it's something that's holding me back 
from going on and becoming all God wants me to be. It just seems like I get to a point and there's a roadblock and I can't get beyond it. Well, you know, I believe that that could be to some degree areas where you have captivity in your life. Here's the good news. Jesus had a lot to say about delivering the captives. First of all, he told us how people get held captive. He told us how people get bound. So the first scripture I want you to look at is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. It'll be on the screen, but this is, I want you just to listen to what he's talking about. He's talking about freedom and how you not only get freedom, but walk in freedom. Okay, he'd been talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were so religious, they were more religious than Jesus, and they didn't like him because he messed up their religion. He didn't like their rules, and so they ultimately were the ones who led him to the cross. But, so some of them didn't even believe him, but there were some Jews that were listening. And look at what Jesus said. He said, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, if you listen to what I say, and it wasn't written, if you listen to what I've said and you let it be a part of your life, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And here it is. And you shall know the truth. Now look what sets you free. And the truth will set you free. Now I like that because see truth sets people free. Lies bring people into bondage. He said to these Jews, I know the rest of the Pharisees aren't listening to me, but you're listening. And if you just listen to what I said and you, you abide in it, I'm going to tell you, you're going to know the truth and you're going to get free. You're going to be delivered. The truth will set you free. And then he goes on and says, they answered him. They said, we're Abraham's descendants have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that we will be made free? And then he says, boy, this, this, this is where the wa- uh, he used to say the water hit the wheel. Nobody knows what that is. You've got to be old. This is where the rubber hits the road, okay? Whatever that means. Anyway, Jesus answered them, most assuredly. Boy, this is when he was making a point. It, 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 some translation says, verily, verily, I say to you. Or truly, truly, I say to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Oh, you know what Jesus said? That sin can take you captive. Oh, yeah, that you can become its slave. I mean, what part of that do we not understand? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You can see that word used over and over again, in the word of God. And he goes on and says in verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Now listen to this. This is good. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. He said, you, if you can, if you hear my word, you continue in it, the truth is going to get into your life and it's going to set you free. And I will tell you one thing, when the son God of God sets you free, you are free free indeed. So Jesus made it clear that we get held captive by sin. It is sin that captivates us and causes us to be into bondage. And so that's why, you know, it's not popular today to preach against sin. It's just not popular. You know, they they, they, want to hear sermons. I'm okay and you're okay. Now, I know you've got problems, but if you read the right books and and do the right thing, you can get over that. Never mention the fact your problem might be that you've got sin in your life and it's grieving the Holy Spirit, or you've got sin in your life and you're not saved, and the reason you're where you are is because of what sin has done in your life. And and you start preaching against sin, and people say, well, I don't like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, then you can be uncomfortable and go to hell. I mean, that's exactly what will happen to you. Jesus said, listen, if you commit sin, you're a slave of it. And it it holds people captive. Now, I know I've said this many times before. But, you know, repetition is the key to knowledge. 
I found this out to be true in my own life and in the life of thousands of people over the uh, 58 years I've been in the ministry. Let me tell you something. Believe it or not, you know it's true. Sin takes you further than you intended to go. Sin keeps you longer than you intended to stay. And sin costs you more than you intended to pay. Well, how did I get here? I never dreamed I would end up in this place. You do not break the moral law of God. It breaks you when you've got violate God's law. And so it is sin that leads to captivity. Well, Paul, he, he picked up on it and said, he made it clear that sin, you can become a slave of sin. All right, Romans 6, chapter, verse 16. Uh, now look at what it says. Now, folks, I'm trying to tell you why people are in captivity. Well, they just didn't get raised right. Well, that, you, you need to get raised right. But that's not what leads you into captivity. It's sin. It's your response to your circumstances. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slave to obey? Let me say that. So do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are the one slave whom you obey, whether sin unto death. So if you obey and sin, then it leads to death. Our, so our obedience, it leads to righteousness. He says, so you've you got a choice. You can make that choice of, of choosing sin, and it'll lead to death. Or you can, obedience, it'll lead to righteousness. He said, but don't you know, whoever you present yourselves slave to obey, that you're the slave of the one you obey. So it, it's all about being captive. And Paul made it clear, and he goes on in, in Romans chapter 6. And he says in verse 20, for when you were the slaves of sin. Hey, folks, listen. <laughs> you know, we don't understand sometimes why we get so messed up. Well, God says, don't lie. But we lie, and then we, well, how did I get messed up? And God says, I set no wicked thing before your eyes. And you sit there and watch some wicked thing. And you say, well, how did I get messed up? And so we make choices that are sinful God says, be, for, be forgiving. He says, forgive. And instead of forgiving, we get bitter and want to get even. And we say, well, how did I get messed up? When you were slaves of sin. Put that back up there. For when you were slaves of sin, you obeyed that form of doctrine. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Okay. Paul said, and then verse 21 he also talks about that, that how that sin can become, can enslave us. Okay. How to get people, how do people get held captive? By the way, what fruit did you have in those things of which you're now ashamed? Here you are, you're choosing to sin and you're making choices to sin. And in your heart, you know, it's a sin. Now you may rationalize it and try to blame it on somebody else and justify it and say that was just in the past. One of the people running for president, uh, said there are some passages in the Bible that are too hard and we need to rewrite them. That is dumb. No, that's not. It's wicked. Really said that. There's some passages too hard on people, so we need to rewrite them. Since when did that person become God? Would you tell me? Well, I'm not going to go hear that preacher anymore because he makes me feel uh, uncomfortable. Glory to God. You see, we've got to understand that, that, that sin holds us captive. Well, but let me tell you something else. Not only are we held captive by sin, but you know you can be held captive by the devil. You can. You can be held captive by a demonic spirit. You know, Jesus made that clear. It was a quite interesting story in the 13th chapter of the book of Luke. This is quite interesting. <laughs> he was in church. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. Okay. Well, as he was teaching there in the synagogue, 
It goes on and says in, ch- in chapter 13, verse uh, uh, thir- 10 through 13, it says, And behold, there was a woman. Now, th- this gets kind of tough to, to work all out in our theology, but well, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. So he's in the synagogue uh, teaching. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not raise herself up. 18 years. Now, she was in the synagogue. Well, Jesus looked at her. <laughs> and obviously, he recognized something in her life. I don't know what it was. When Jesus saw her, he called, he called her to him. So he saw the woman, bent over, spirit of infirmity, 18 years. And he says, woman, you're loosed for your infirmity. You're loosed for your infirmity. Well, the Pharisees got upset. You don't heal on the Sabbath day. Don't you know you don't heal? Jesus said, will you take your donkey to get water on the Sabbath day? Isn't it okay if I heal this woman? Religion will make you stupid. They could water their donkey, but he couldn't heal a woman that had been bound for 18 years. They just didn't like Jesus. They were trying to find fault with him. And, uh, and so he said, woman, you're loose from your infirmity. And put that back on the screen. And it says that uh, she, she was made straight and glorified God. All right? And then it goes on, and they get all over him because he did that. And then he goes down, and this is what I want you to see. Look what he says in verse 16. It says, he laid hands on her, made her strength. So ought not this woman, now get this, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath. What? You telling me that somewhere along the way, this woman gave place to the devil? And he took that place, and for 18 years, she was bound by the devil. And Jesus said, woman, be loose from your spirit of infirmity. And I, I, I'm going to tell you something. You say, the reason it's so serious to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, because when you say yes to sin, you open yourself up and you give place to the devil. And I promise you, if you give him place, he'll take it. Lost or saved, he'll take it. And so some people are held captive by the demonic spirits, by the power of Satan himself. You know, Jesus called the devil the strong man. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 28 and 29, they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God is upon you. He said, if I'm casting them out by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. And then he talked about, well, how can you enter a strong man's house and take his goods unless you first bind the strong man? And then you can plunder his house. See, he was talking about demonic activity, and he said, let me tell you something, and, and, and I love this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he entered the strong man's house. Hallelujah. And he took away and crushed the power of the strong man. And therefore, by the power of Jesus, he can take his goods. And so many people are held captive by sin, but others are held captive by the strong man. They have given place to him in their life, and he has, he, he has them in bondage. I mean, it's, it's just a reality. You say, well, I don't like that, and I don't believe that. Well, I, I, you have that right, but all I can say to you is I know people that have absolutely been bound by the devil and got set free from the devil. And I know some people that have just been bound by sin and have been set free from sin. But sin... And sometimes Satan or demonic spirits will hold you captive. And you need to be delivered. All right. Now here's the next thing. So Jesus talked about sin holding you captive. He talked about being held captive by the strong man or demonic spirits. 
Paul talked about being a slave of sin and how that would hold you captive. Well, what we need to understand is this. Jesus is present today to set the captives free. I mean, he came to deliver the captives. All right, in John chapter 8, verse 31, we, we looked at this earlier. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you believe, abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. He said in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I came to set you free. You just believe my word. You, you abide, just stay with me and I'll set you free. And then I love that verse down in verse 36. If the son makes you free, you are free indeed. So Jesus, he came to set us free. He came to deliver the captives. Listen, all over this nation and all over this world, people are held captive by their sin and they're held captive by darkness and are held captive by the demonic spirits of the strong men. And no wonder this world is crazy and no wonder this world is on a jet plane headed for hell because they are in bondage. And only Jesus Christ can set us free. Only Jesus. You know, now I want to tell you how Jesus sets us free. Freedom begins when you're saved. Yeah, when a person gets saved, that's when Jesus begins to deliver them. In other words, first of all, now let's talk about what it means to be saved. It means this, that you recognized under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you're a sinner and that you're fully responsible for your sin. You get where David was. Against you and you only, O oh God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You quit rationalizing your sin. You quit saying it's too hard and we need to take it out of the Bible. You quit blaming it on somebody else. But you just let the Spirit of God look deep in your heart and you realize, hey, I am a sinner and I am, have committed wicked deeds. You say, but I'm not as wicked as he was. Well, what's that got to do with it? You don't compare yourself with others. Let's find out who's the worst. That's not it. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And sin separates you from God. That's what it does. It separates you from God. Why? God is holy, and God is holy, and we are sinful, and we're separated from God. But Jesus Christ came on a mission to reconcile us to God, to take us who were sinners and forgive us and change us and reconcile us to God so we could be one with him and we would not be estranged from God, but God would be our father and that we would not be without hope, but that we would have hope. So a person comes under conviction of their sin and they acknowledge their sinfulness and they repent. God, I have sinned against you. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. And I ask for mercy. And I know the only answer for my sin is the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I'm not trusting in religion. I'm not trusting in the church. I'm not trusting in ordinances. I'm not trusting in good works. The only hope for me to be saved is Jesus Christ. And Jesus only. So I come and throw myself upon his mercy. And ask Christ to be my Savior and Lord. And I know that he's my only hope. Okay, so you get saved. Well, God begins to set you free. He begins to set you free in areas of your life. And this is the thing that I didn't know for a long time. But when I understood it, I said, oh, this is good news. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. You know why people sin? <laughs> because they have a sinful nature. You know, I, I believe Adam's in heaven. Don't you believe Adam's in heaven? You know, he, God, Jesus, God made a covering for Adam, you know, and he shed, shed the blood of a, of, a, of a lamb and covered Adam and Eve. with. So I believe Adam's in heaven. But I do want to ask him one, one thing. I said, do you know how many problems you've caused me? <laughs> you sinned, and I was born with your nature. I was born with the nature of Adam. I was born with a sinful nature. Anybody here that was not born with a sinful nature? No, we all were. Nobody had to teach us to sin. We never had sin practice. Come on in, son. It's time for sin practice. 
If Jesus had just died for your sins, he would have just died for the symptoms. You know what he did? He took your sinful nature, and he took it on him, and he nailed it to the cross. He got to the root. Look at this. Knowing this, our old man who we were in Adam was crucified with him that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that I would no longer be a slave of sin. Oh, hallelujah. When Jesus comes into your heart, he not only forgives you of your sin, but he puts that old sinful nature to death. And no longer are you under the control and power of the flesh or of the sinful nature. It has been put to death. And praise God, now you're free to obey God. And you're free not to sin, but free to be obedient and to be righteous. And it goes on in verse uh, 7 and 8. For he who has died, we died with Christ, has been freed from sin. Then he says in the 8th verse, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. So when you're saved, not only are your sins forgiven, but your sinful nature is put to death. The power of your sinful nature is broken, and you no longer have to sin. You're no longer controlled by a nature that is bent towards sin. It has been put to death. Then he goes over in verse 11 and says, You know, Jesus died, he died unto sin once, and he lives. Now look at this. Likewise, count it a fact. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before I got saved, I was dead to God and alive to sin. But hallelujah, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, praise God, you say, I am no longer, I reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to God. See, God, you become alive, and he puts to death that sin nature and gives you divine, you're partaker of the divine nature, and you become spiritually alive, and that sets you free. You'll never be free until your old man is put to death, and Jesus Christ gives you a, you're partaker of his divine nature. So Jesus came and set us free. Then verse 18, he says, uh, and having been set free from sin, You become slaves of righteousness. You get set free from sin when you get saved. You say, Brother Fred, are you ever tempted? Not since this morning. (laughs) You ever mess up? Not since this morning. My wife and I get saved on the way to church every Sunday morning. (laughs) She's slow and she says, I'm slow. No, we're both slow. When you get over 75, you're slow. So you allow another 30 minutes, but it still don't work. But, but we, we get saved on the way to church every Sunday. Praise God. <laughs> I was praying this morning. I said, Lord, you know, I got in a hurry and I, I wasn't acting right. And she said, I wasn't either. <laughs> I said, you're right. <laughs> you said, Brother Fred, I thought you never. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Verse 18, he, he said, um, but, but Jesus setting us free. In this verse 22 of Romans 6, look, it says, Now having been set free from sin, that's good words. Who sets us free, Jesus? Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Jesus came to set us free. It is the power of Christ in our life, the power of Christ in our life that sets us free and keeps us free and makes us free. I'm going to say two things, and I'm going to have Adam and them to give her testimony. Okay, so what we got to do to walk in the freedom, number one, is we've got to learn to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Romans 6, 12, it says, therefore, since you're saved and your old nature has been put to death, therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal body. I said, okay, Lord, I got you. He said, do not let sin rule in your body that you should obey it in its lust. I understand that. And so I've got a choice. Lord, I I choose that sin will not reign in my mortal body that I should obey its lust. I make a choice. And then in verse 13, he says, do not present your members. Now, Now stay with me. He says, don't present your hands and don't present your eyes and don't present your tongue and don't present your heart. 
and don't present your hand in feet. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. Lord, I'm not going to give you my eye. I'm not going to yield my eyes to sinfulness. I'm not going to yield my mouth to sinfulness. I'm not going to yield my hands and feet to sinfulness. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. We're not dead anymore. We're alive. And your members are instruments of my hands, my eyes, my mouth, my heart, my feet are instruments of righteousness to God. Man, you make a choice to yield your members as instruments of righteousness, and you just surrender to it. You just surrender to it. Romans six sixteen and 17, you surrender to him, okay? You used to obey, be slaves of, uh, of sin. Now you're uh, obedience leading to righteousness. Well, anyway, Jesus sets us free. All right, Adam, you and Christy come up here. Uh, I've prayed over who I wanted to know who God wanted to give their testimony about being set free. Adam, I've known you how long? About eight years? About eight years. years. You notice Adam, he grows a lot here, but he can't grow any up here. (laughs) I I couldn't miss that. There's a story behind that, isn't it? There is. That is, but that's good. And anyway, God miraculously set him free. And um, he's going to share his testimony. Then Christy's going to share how God worked in her life. And it's a good word from God. You need it, and I need it, okay? So let's just listen to how the presence of Jesus today sets people free. Well, good morning, Luke 418 Fellowship. Uh, we have grown into quite a big church <laughs> from standing from up here. It's a little different. Uh, but uh, as Brother Fred said, my name's Adam. This is my wife, Christy, and with our two uh, beautiful children in the nursery, Liam, he's four, and Kirsten, she's two, um, we make up the Lineberry family, and um, this is a little bit of our testimony. A, a lot of you know us. A lot of you know me uh, uh, from Davidson, you know, when we uh, first started having services there. And, um, you know, I, I always love the verse Luke 4.18, and especially the part about delivering the captives because, you know, that's where I was, and that's where I find myself from time to time, unfortunately. It's a cycle, it seems, like the Israelites would go through maybe, you know. Um, and so delivering the captives, freedom, liberty to the captives is always something that's resounded with me. And I thank God that Brother Fred had the vision and the wherewithal to have this church uh, for us scattered sheep because it's so nice to have a home. Um, and so uh, in, in freedom, in the testimony, uh, Brother Fred had already mentioned John eight thirty six. He really brought up every verse I think I was going to share today. Um, but uh, John eight thirty six talks about, and Brother Jim Jordan at the Mission of Hope once told me that uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, he who the Son shall make free uh, shall be free indeed. And it's often misquoted as set free. And so he gave me an illustration of a bird cage. And imagine a bird cage. Jesus opens the cage at the cross, all right, and the, 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 the image of set free would mean that we're a bird inside and he takes us out and he sets us free. That's not entirely what happens. He makes us free. He opens the, the, the cage and we have to stay out of the cage. You know, At the cross, we, we can't fly in and out of this cage and we're capable of it. I'm capable of it. And that's my testimony today. Um, and so being made free is what Jesus did for each and every one of us through his blood, his precious blood. What a great song this morning, Brother Ed, uh, at, at the cross. And it's, it's so important. So um, my testimony is, is that uh, you know, I was born uh, in Mobile, raised in church by my wonderful God-fearing mother, Sharon Carraway, and uh, had a wonderful God-fearing grandfather. And then divorce uh, hit my parents' life. Uh, and then my grandfather passed away. And I found myself just kind of seeking whatever, anything. Um, I thought I was saved when I was younger. I had prayed a prayer at vacation Bible school. I had um, gotten baptized at Orchard Baptist Church. And um, I thought that, you know, that that's all I really needed to do. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I think the only verse I knew was John 3.16 for 10 or 15 years at least. 
And that's like saying I ate bread on January 31st and I'm still okay. You know, it's just not, it's not, it's not good enough. And, and I didn't understand that. Um, so, uh, you know, I was the first generation of kids who could look at anything on the internet. You know, anything. And I think that that was horrible uh, to, to, to present that opportunity for our children uh, because it was horrible for me. And um, as slowly but surely, I started to do other things. Smoke cigarettes, drink, um, take drugs. And my life spiraled to a place that was so out of control that I was using intravenous drugs. Uh, and I came to a place where I realized that had to stop. And so I cried out for freedom, and I, and I needed it. And I didn't know what to do to get it, but by no strange set of circumstances, I want to say that my dad's friend called Brother Fred uh, and found out about the Mission of Hope, and I was able to enter the Mission of Hope. And that was in 2006, but that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, I went through the program and rededicated that which I thought I had dedicated in the first place, uh, which was nothing. I had never given God my heart. And so I graduate, go into the halfway house, first paycheck spending on drugs, get kicked out. So now I'm homeless. That loving, God-fearing mother had to let me go. And at 23 years old, I'm homeless. And I'm homeless all the way across Florida uh, for a year. At the end of that year, I go on another strong binge and end up back at the Mission of Hope, thank God. So this time I go through the program and I re-rededicate that which I had never dedicated in the first place. <laughs> and I graduate and, and Brother Jim, God bless him, he you know, had the, 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 the mind to, and, and, and the vision to, to allow me to work for the Mission of Hope. And so that's what I started doing. And I found myself driving a furniture truck and I'd go to people's houses and I'd say, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about today? And God, the Holy Spirit would just point right here at my heart where that pack of cigarettes was still at. And he'd be like, why don't you, uh, why don't you find me before you ask those kind of questions? And I, I just started thinking, what does he mean? Why, why find him? You know, I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, how, how is this? I've, I've stopped doing drugs and alcohol. This, is, this has got to be enough, you know. I'm working for the Lord at the Mission of Hope. And um, December 25th, 2007, I uh, wanted to find out what I could give Jesus for his birthday. And uh, so for 24 hours, I didn't smoke or dip. Every five minutes, I wanted to smoke and dip. And every five minutes, I said, nope, I'm doing this for Jesus. not going to do this today. And I didn't. And I told my roommate all day, you know, midnight, I get to put a dip in. That's ridiculous, isn't it? And so at 11.45 p.m., uh, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart for the first time that I ever actually accurately heard him. He's like, why don't you just lay down and rest in me? I was like, I looked at my roommate and I said, Bill, I think I'm just going to go to sleep. He said, you've been talking about putting a dip in for 23 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> and now you want to go to sleep? I said, something's different, Buell. And it was. The next morning I woke up, I, I put my head on the pillow and it was just like 6 a.m. automatically. Next morning I woke up and my life had been totally, miraculously changed from darkness into light. The things I used to desire, I no longer desire. The things that I used to want, I no longer wanted. Uh, it's like Brother Fred said when he started the church. You know, what the Bible said to do, I wanted to do. And what the Bible said don't do, I didn't want to do it, you know. And so I continued in that, and I ran hard after God. That was December 25th, 2007. God made this place available at Davidson, January 6th, 2008. Um, you know, I was the second person baptized into this church, uh, just God started to rapidly move my life forward in such an awesome and powerful way. And I stayed away from drugs and alcohol, and I stayed away from nicotine, and I did what God had called me to do. And so I started wanting things, you know, the things that any young man would want as he grows up. Uh, I wanted a, a wife. I wanted a better or higher job at the mission and a bigger paycheck. I wanted a, a children. I wanted a house. I wanted a car. I wanted all these things that I didn't have. I was homeless. And so as God started to give me all these things, they started to be my things. I totally left God out of the picture. And so I finally get to the point to where I'm essentially a Pharisee at the Mission of Hope. I'm telling guys that are coming in the program, look, I've been sober for five years. Why don't you leave the preaching and teaching and thoughts up to me? You know, uh, let's, not, let's not get out there and, and try to help these other guys while you're in here. You need help yourself. 
And that was so contradictory to he whom Jesus has set free is free indeed. You know, uh, I don't understand why I did it or why. You know, I'd tell guys you can't come back and give your testimony for a year. What about the thousands of lives that could have been changed in that year for those people? What about those people that never went and testified after that? And so through this uh, Pharisee experience, I started to read Romans 7, and I thought I was thinking, man, this is exactly... Paul could not have been saved in Romans 7 when he says, if I I do these things I do, I don't want to do them. And the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. And all this stuff, and he finds that evil's present with him. And he says afterwards, I delight in the law of uh, God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into, first, captivity. All right? Captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. See, I hadn't, I hadn't recognized that. Because I was free from drugs and alcohol and several other things, I thought, I'm good. I'm better. I'm, 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 I'm in a great place to be helping people because of what I've done, because of what I'm continuing to do. But I forgot that that, that was in my members still available to sneak up and bite at any time. So uh, Paul says, A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of, of the body of this death? So deliverance, you know, captivity, deliverance. And later he says, for the law of spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Captivity, deliverance, freedom. So I'm free, I'm adding all these things to myself, I'm gaining all these things, and now all of a sudden we've got so much that the mission paycheck won't cover it, and I've got to go get a secular job. Don't have to, but that's what we pray about and decide. So I go to work for Austell. Welding. Great job. God opened doors. But slowly but surely, I started to hurt my back. And as I hurt my back, I realized that I was going to have to have surgery. So I tried everything I could not to have a surgery. I tried non-opioid medications. Then I tried opioid medications. Then I had the surgery. Then I was on pain management at the place that the two doctors were arrested at. Um, you know, naivete, Yeah. But at the same time, just not recognizing that it was still there, that I, I'm still Adam. I'm not Jesus. He's in me, and I have to surrender to him, and I have to stay where he's made me free at. And so, through all this judgment, uh, through all these things, I find myself uh, um, um, not ministering, not doing anything, working at Austell, hurt back, got to quit my job now, back surgery hopelessly addicted to opiates. And so I tell some of my friends, my wife, others, I'm ready to get off of this stuff. And it's at that moment that, you know, there's two people in Luke 4.18 when Jesus says he sets the captives free. There's the person who needs freedom, and then there's Jesus setting them free. Well, if the Holy Spirit's in you, that's Jesus helping set someone free. And so what I found in that moment was I had so many friends who loved me and cared for me. Uh, You know, I can't name them all. David Bullock came to my rescue at the, at the hospital uh, when I had gotten to the very end of it and was withdrawing uh, and, and had plenty of other things going on. But, um, you know, David Bullock and Leslie, um, Ashley and William Flagg praying for us, uh, Stephen and Sarah Richardson, uh, you know, Devin Byron Sherman, just so many people who showed me Jesus in that time. But I also want to kind of give us a, a, an idea of how not to do something because I have several friends not in this church, who told me things like, you don't deserve to be around your kids. You don't deserve to have, you know, your wife. They're Christian friends. And imagine, all right, let's take sin like what Brother Fred was saying. Sin is the same. Let's say that God looked at us every time we didn't tame our tongue. He said, you don't deserve to have your kids. He gave them to us knowing we were going to do this wrong, you know? And so there's a human idea of how to help deliver the captives, and then there's a biblical way to do it. And the biblical way is visit the sick, visit those that are in prison, give people clothes that need it, uh, feed the hungry. And I I just, I wasn't doing that. I mean, I can even remember one guy, I told him, um, I was asked if he was doing well uh, after the mission, and and, and he, he had just got a tattoo of the cross, and I said, he's not doing great. He just got a tattoo. Well, it took me a while to read in the Bible. Right after that verse, it says, don't shave the corners of your beard either. So uh, 
I don't plan on getting a tattoo, but I don't plan on shaving my beard either. What I'm trying to say is sin is biblical sin. It's whatever the Bible says do, do it. And whatever the Bible says don't do, don't do it. And don't ever put yourself, which I had others do and I have done myself, in a position where we're an authority over someone else because we don't sin the way that they sin. Um, so I found myself hopelessly wrecked, and I go to a rehab program, and I feel like I'm drowning. That's the only thing I know how to explain. I'm about to lose my wife. I'm about to lose my children. I'm about to lose my family. I'm about to lose my house, my car, my motorcycle, whatever. All the stuff that I gained. Everything in reverse. It's like the country song in reverse. Uh, and so I, I end up um, going to another rehabilitation program. Now, here's the funny thing. I'm taken in. I'm loved. I'm cared for. And some of the same, very same people that I had brought into the program maybe years before, I find now telling me, now, Adam, while you're in here, you can't preach. You can't teach. You can't. And I just started to realize, oh, my gosh, how that feels, you know? What was I doing to people? If someone's begging to get free, I think Jesus says forgive them 70 times 7 if they keep doing it wrong, you know? Uh, um, and, and I wasn't doing that. And so I'm encouraging us as a fellowship that when we find ourselves in that situation trying to help someone, trying to be, we, we all need freedom, as, as Brother Fred mentioned, but when we're trying to help someone find freedom, when we're trying to be, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to be Jesus through us for someone, is to just kind of disregard those thoughts of the way we feel like we need to do it. But anyway, I get free, more free than I've ever been because I'm free of religion. I'm free of the, the Pharisee mentality. I'm now loving people from the bottom of my heart. I'm now seeing things in a whole new way, and I still don't know it all. And I still have things that I deal with every day that, like Brother Fred said, you know, uh, we'll, we'll argue to, on the way to church sometimes in the morning and come in smiling, you know. And, I mean, it's just part of what this is. And now I understand my fallen human condition a little bit better. And rather than deal with pride and say it's never going to happen again, I'm going to try and kind of stay in that place where, hey, Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. And so I'm going to have my wife say a couple things about kind of from the point at which I got free forward. Um, I'm Christy. Um, just a real quick thing. If you had asked me a week ago, would I be standing up here telling you why we're different? I would have been absolutely not. <laughs> but God showed me a week ago through some scripture that I was going through that I get the opportunity to present to people every day when I serve them as a nurse because I take care of patients that I'm different, that I'm different because Jesus lives within me. Um, but Jesus, he started asking me this question of, do you actually tell them why you're different? Yes, your actions show you every day, people every day that you're different, but do you actually tell people? And, and this is my opportunity to tell people because I don't always use Jesus' name. But me and Adam are standing up here today because we are different, and we're different because of the blood of Jesus. Um, I was saved as a junior in high school, my desires changed for what I wanted based on what God wanted. And God took me down a series of things to become a nurse, to serve people, to um, be actively involved in church with the youth group. And the one thing I didn't want to do was be by myself, but he told me, you know what, it's got to be me and you right now. So from junior year in high school to age 27, <laughs> Christy did all this with just me and Jesus. Um, and I was full but I never really was completely full to the point of understanding what the Holy Spirit could really do if he overfilled my life. Um, met my husband, Adam, in a position where I needed a Jesus for an Easter drama that I was presenting with the youth at my church, and he had the beard. <laughs> so the beard is always part of our relationship. Um, and he came and so graciously presented the Easter drama with us, but this was the thing, is he was over filled with the Holy Spirit. Every step he took, every word he said, was just dripping with Jesus. And he didn't have to say Jesus. You knew it automatically, and I wanted that. I wanted that so bad, and I wasn't quite sure how to get there because God had taken me a long way, and he had shown me a lot, but this was new. And so as me and Adam began our relationship, he kept challenging me to get deeper in God's Word and to become more and to show people more um, of who Jesus was, and it was incredible. Um, got to the point after six months of on and off dating, 
And I say on and off dating because I learned in high school that dating was not dating like the world looks at it, but it's a special kind of friendship that can lead to courtship, love, and marriage. And so when I met a guy growing up and I thought even a little bit that I, is it a possibility I could marry him, usually the relationship ended in two days. Um, because God had given me the opportunity to make a list of what he wanted me to have in a man. And that list was put into a secret box that nobody knew about it but me and Jesus. And I had to get to, I prayed about it every day for years until I was 27 when I met Adam. Six months into our relationship, I opened the box to see, hey, is this it? Matches every word on the sheet. God is good. <laughs> And very humorous because I would have never thought I'd get the opportunity to stand in front of churches sharing Jesus, you know, Jesus. But that's what was the very first thing on my list is that I'd have a man who loved people so much that we were going to minister to other people. And I didn't call it a preacher because I was scared of that word, but let's, get, let's just put it there. That's what it was. And so we went on our relationship. We got married. We did preach at several churches. We've had a family. I'm a full-time nurse. I work 40 to 60 hours every two to two weeks or so. So I'm pregnant, tired, my feet hurt. I just really want to be at home with my baby. We start taking our eyes off of what Jesus has given us, and we start being worried about the cares of the world. I'm too tired to be in your word, Lord. I've got to get some rest. I'm up to every two hours with the baby. I can't do this, can't do that. We've got to have another car. Adam can't ride the baby on the motorcycle. It's just not possible. You've got to give us another car. So slowly our minds are turned to a worldly view instead of a Jesus view. And I'm telling you this right now. Be vigilant in your walk with Christ because the thief is there to come in quietly and still kill and destroy. And if you're not vigilant, it's going to break your heart into pieces that you never wanted it to be broken in. That's not it, though, because we have Jesus in our lives, and he's our living hope. And when I found that Adam was back again addicted to drugs, I was just, I was lost. Not lost from Christ, but lost from my husband. I didn't respect him anymore. I didn't trust him. And there was no way he was coming back into my life thinking he was having a position of authority over me. And because he had ruined it all. He chose a drug over our family. And so, um, got to the darkest point in my life that I've ever been through. I was a good girl according to the world. I didn't make bad choices. Um, and so I got to the darkest point that God's ever allowed me to get to in my life. And the only option was to call out him. We went through a year of arguing, fighting, disrespecting each other, using words that we should have never used, hurting each other in ways that I would have never, if anybody would have asked would my husband ever do that to me, I would have said no, and I would have never done that to him. And God brought me to a place where I had to choose. Did I choose my husband, or did I choose to walk away? I had every right to walk away. If you look at it from a worldly point of view, he left me. If you want to look at it at an adulterous point of view, he chose jugs over me into my thought process. That was choosing something totally different than me. And he hurt me in very, very bad ways, emotionally, never physically of any sort of kind. And so God brings me to the point that we have to decide on what we're going to do. Um, so I'm in a dark place. I get on my face. Um, I've had several people tell me what I should do on a Christian point of view, on a um, non-Christian point of view. And I choose God. I call out to God that night. I call out in a way I've never called out before. And I promise you when I stood up that night, he has set me free. And the very next morning, my husband was in a car on the way to rehab. But as Adam says, God opens that cage for us to walk out of. He is not a dictator. He is not going to tell you you have to live by my rules and regulations. 
He has given us the option because he only wants us. He only wants us to be willing to lay our lives down with for him, to love him that much. So he gives us that option. So it was very easy for me. Adam was off at rehab getting God. I'm going to work. I have two babies to take care of now. I have to, my financial situation has went from an income that seemed inexpensive, um, in, was not going to go away, to now I had just my check. My check was the only thing that was going to provide. I had to put the babies through daycare. I had to buy the groceries. I had to pay bills. And so he went to rehab and I went to work. Um, and I never dealt with the situation at hand. In fact, I let it bind, bind me down in a way that I would have never imagined. So fast forward a little bit because I know we have to get um, close. This May, April, May, um, I found myself in a place of anger. I hadn't forgiven Adam for the hurt he had caused. I was very, very bitter. There was not going to be a fight that we went through at the time that I was not going to come out with, this is your fault. I'm not changing. Don't you even think you're going to say anything different? You owe me so much that you don't have any say in this situation. Um... And here's the problem, is that while he was getting help, I was too busy to keep following God. And so my anger, my bitterness, my unforgiveness, my judgment, because I was very judgmental because, hey, I had never done anything as bad as he did. It was just wrapping and wrapping and wrapping and wrapping, and I found myself more bound at this time. Because I wasn't going to let him win. I wasn't going to let him have the leadership position back in my house. He didn't deserve it. He didn't come home and make our lives completely changed again. He came home and when I told him to do something, he didn't do it. And he definitely didn't do it the way I told him to do it. (laughs) The anger brewed and the bitterness brewed. And I was through. I was tired of it. I took my wedding band off, called a divorce lawyer, found out that she would cost, because cost is everything, don't you know? And God sent me here for a prayer service at the beginning of May. He said, you have to choose. You want to take divorce, you're more than welcome to. But you're not serving me, Christy. If you want to serve me, you're going to choose your husband. You're going to be obedient to what I'm saying. And you're going to let me set you free again. But in order for me to do that, I had to serve Adam. <laughs> and I didn't want to serve Adam. And I argued with God and I argued with God. And I said, there's just no way I can't serve him. And he says, well, then you're not being obedient to me. So thank you, Jesus, for not letting go. Because even though I was far from him, he never left me. He chased after me. He gave me friends and family to tell me what I needed to hear, and I chose to chose Jesus. And I went home that night after the prayer service, and I washed Adam's feet. Not because I had to, because I needed to humble myself in front of God and tell God, you know what, I choose you, and in choosing you, I choose my husband. And he set me free. And I struggled with getting up here because um, it's not finished for me. I'm a work in progress. God is still having to release things for me that I have held very close. It could just be because I'm hard-headed. But the fact is, is he's still having to work in my life. And this is what I leave y'all with. Be vigilant because if you take your eyes off Christ, if you get your eyes on any part of this world, he's, the thief's going to come in and he's going to try to destroy it. And why wouldn't he? We're sharing Jesus with people. We're setting people free every day when they hear who Jesus is. So he's trying to destroy us. Two, my sin is no different than your sin. And though his was in drugs or with drugs that he got bound in again, mine was with things that we deal with more every day today than anything else. And that's anger, bitterness, selfishness, judgment, unforgiveness. And it's going to wrap you up just as bad and take you to places you never would have imagined. 
And then three is Jesus started a good work in me, and he is faithful to complete it, and he's not going to just leave us at the wayside. He is just waiting for us to take the step and turn around and look at him and come home, and he provides the rest for us. Um, So I have a living hope. His name is Jesus. And each day I come home and things aren't done my way, it's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus is alive, and Jesus is working at us, and he's given us this opportunity today to share with you all that he is the one that's going to set you all free. So just if you have any concerns or questions, let Jesus know. Let somebody that you trust know that's going to lead you in the right direction. One, one last thing. You know, we, we, we live in a microwave generation where we want things done so fast. And, you know, sometimes we want people to be set free so fast. And Jesus is a life change. You know, it's something that we start with and we walk through continually. Uh, I watch these on Facebook. I think we're live streaming now. There may be somebody out there that, um, you know, has, has an issue with drugs or alcohol or some sort of bondage to sin that you don't want to talk about uh, or, you know, uh, that has a son or daughter or, or, or whatever, and, and uh, we're just too close as a, as a family or I don't know how that works. But, um, you know, uh, you can always come to me or Christy, David Bullock. I can vouch for him. Uh, the Shermans, Ed Keys. I know that uh, that, that we all um, love you greatly. Um, uh, if you if you're out there, the Mission of Hope uh, ha- helped me greatly in a time of need. The uh, phone number there is two five one six four nine zero eight three zero. And then there's a man who's been helping me through this deal with Christy since I've been free, trying to understand how to react. And uh, he is a minister at a place called Grace Ministries. His name's Paul Meredith, and he deals with any kind of addiction to anything even if it's gossip or soap operas, you know, whatever. If you feel like you have a bondage to something, there's a 13-week class, um, and he'd love to talk to you. And his number is 251-583-7930. So, again, thank you, Brother Fred, for allowing us to be here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Amen.